Well, let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. Has any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church? That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. First of all, thank you all so much. That pledge drive was amazing. In fact, I'm so delighted I'm eating a celebratory piece of cake as we speak. (laughs) I suppose I should stop eating cake and start. Oh, well. I really, it's just, it's just flabbergasting, the generosity of people. And, you know, I, I, we are all so grateful at Relevant Radio. And um, I guess it's just that that sense that, that that there just really is a sense of belonging. And, and I, I've said this numerous times, you meet people who are Relevant Radio people, and there's just an instant kind of uh, bond. And, and that really showed up in, in, in this pledge drive. And, and so if you're new to Relevant Radio, welcome and thank you. If you're old to Relevant Radio, thank you, thank you again and again. That is said, let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's do it. Let's open the big book on the coffee table. Well, the first reading uh, is from the Book of Wisdom, and we'll we'll talk about the Book of Wisdom uh, tomorrow. But just suffice it to say, let us think about the great difference between wisdom and knowledge. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. A little wisdom goes a long way. Knowledge is the awareness that the tomato is, in fact, a fruit. Wisdom is the good sense not to put it in a fruit salad. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, Homer, I've never I've never thought of you and wisdom in the same breath, trust me. All right, but let's go to the gospel, which is which is yeah, this gospel is a really difficult one, I think. And I have a really harebrained idea about it. So This is going to take a lot of grains of salt, I have a feeling. So uh, it's a real stretch. But, thank you. Am I going to need a bigger salt shaker? You're going to need a bigger salt shaker for this one. I, I, this, I, 
this is just a real stretch, but we'll, it's fun. So we'll get into it. All right. Uh, things that cause sin will inevitably occur. And, and remember the word for sin means to miss the target. Uh, that wonderful, wonderful verse in St. Paul that says, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, St. Paul defines sin when he says that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, uh, God has a plan for your life. And um, you invariably fall short of it. Um, the, the, uh, the term sin comes from sports, believe it or not. It's more common in sports in the ancient Greek world, in the ancient world. But uh, um, uh, uh, let me compose myself here and think. The word is hamartia, which quite literally means to miss the target. Uh, to miss the target, hamartia. Uh, if in, and it's same thing in, in Hebrew. Uh, the, this, I think it's cheth in Hebrew. And it, it simply means to miss the target. It was used in sports. So we fall short of God's goal for us. And, and I think that that's, that's an important, important um, um, thing to understand. That, that, uh, now, I don't, don't change the words of the formula of, of confession. When you go to confession, the formula is, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. That's the traditional formula. It's not, it's not necessary to the sacrament, but it is the customary formula. But Think of it this way. You know, people go to confession week after week and, Father, I confess the same sins with the sense of it. But if you understand that what you're is, saying is, bless me, Father, for I have failed. Oh, that makes more sense. I can go to confession every week. I go every day and say I failed. I failed to be the friend I should be, the parent I should be, the child I should be, uh, the in-law I should be. I failed to be the priest I should be. So bless me, Father, for I failed. Um, that that makes more sense. Don't, when you examine your conscience, think of that. Don't I don't suggest that you change the the, the traditional words with which in English we we introduce ourselves in confession. All right, but let's go back to this. Oh, hold on, gotta find the cough button here. All right, Good there we go. Grief. Thank you, thank you, Charlie. Um, so. Uh, Things that cause failure, sin, to miss the target will inevitably occur, but woe to the one through whom they occur. It would be better for him if a millstone were put around his neck. A millstone is it's a heavy thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's a big round stone donut looking thing. So uh, better to have a millstone put around his neck than to be thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. I think you need to remember that little ones, it includes children, of course, but it doesn't just mean children. It means people that you might regard as unimportant. And I would aim this particularly at, at, at people like me and the clergy who we think that um, it's nothing to change uh, the words of the liturgy because, well, I can improve on it. People, uh, you know, people have the right to the Roman Catholic Mass. And we think that we're being avant-garde, or we think that we're being, uh, 
we're teaching in this. No, we're causing little ones to stumble. People who don't have a good theological education, perhaps, or people who are who the world thinks is unimportant. The unimportant people, because in God's eyes, there is no one unimportant. No one. Everyone is at least potentially a prince or princess of the kingdom of God. So um, uh, be on your guard. <laughs> if your brother sins, rebuke him. Well, let's look at that. Uh, if your brother sins, that's your brother, uh, not not uh, not a stranger, not not uh, a person you don't know. This is this is something about a person with whom you are in relationship, and y y you got to be honest with them. Uh, you can't just let it go. Um, th this is a tough thing. Um, I, I've shared this with you, but as a priest, when I, when I was a pastor, um, so often people would come up to me and say, father, you should do something about the lady in the second to the last pew. She's always talking, uh, in mass. And I would say, well, did you talk to her? Oh, no, I didn't talk to her. Well, why didn't you? Well, it's not, I wouldn't, I don't have, I wouldn't dare. You should talk to her. It doesn't bother me. I'm up at the altar. I can't hear her. So you're not going to do anything about it? Not till you've done something about it. I mean, this is this is what the Bible is commanding here. Um, the the uh, um, you are on to do the confronting. What does the Bible say elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter? Uh, that that. If your brother offend you, go to him alone, privately, you've won a brother. If he doesn't listen, go to one other. If he doesn't listen to you and one other, then you go to the church. When people come to me as pastor to say, uh, you need, Father, you need to do something about this. Uh, no, I don't. The Bible says you're supposed to do something about it, you and someone else. And then you come to me as the representative of the whole community. This is the way it's supposed to work. And... And the the word epitimao, rebuke, it means to warn by um, instructing. Timao means to esteem, and epi is upon. It's it's something you do with respect. St. Paul says it elsewhere in, in the letter to the Ephesians, speak the truth in love. Uh, you know, that, that brother, you know, I'm really concerned and, and you know, I, I, this has really been bothering me, and and I would ask you to do something about it. Well, how dare you? Well, this is what I'm supposed to do. If your brother or sister fails, misses the target, warn him lovingly. And if he repents, okay, now again, the word is repent. This is an interesting word in itself. To repent means it's metanoia. Meta, well, the, 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 what's the verb? The verb, the first form of the verb is, is meta, metanoeo. Uh, uh, <clears throat> what it, it means is to, to have a, a renewal of your mind. Remember, St. Paul says in his letter to the, to the, to the, oh, this, now I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting Romans, I think. Do not be conformed to this present age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Metanoia means to understand something. 
okay, I know this is complicated, but bear with me. That that um, understanding precedes action. I've shared this with you a lot of times. Understanding precedes action. If I know the bridge is out, I'm not going to drive down that road. I'm going to find another way across the river if I know the bridge is out. However, if I am pigheaded, which I, I've actually, I've actually done this. I, I think I forgive me if I'm an old man telling the same old stories, but I, I remember I'm driving through France and was hopelessly lost, trying to find this monastery about ten miles east of nowhere at all, and I was with uh, a real saint who just had back surgery, and. Uh, he was very forgiving. He let me know. He, he fulfilled this. He rebuked me, but forgave me. But uh, there's a road, and I knew that right down that road, covered by arches, beautiful arches of trees, I knew that where we wanted to be was right down that road. But the sign said the road is out, and it was clearly fine. So I proceeded down the road, and there were potholes big enough to swallow cows, and um, this poor guy, who had just had uh, something removed from his, his back. <laughs> if, you're, if you're really thick-headed, you're going you're gonna to disregard the sign. I was just down that road this morning, and the bridge is fine. Well, you're going to end up in the river. But if someone can convince you that, yes, in fact, the bridge is out, if you have wisdom and are docile and ready to learn, you say, oh, the bridge is out since this morning, I'm not going down that road. My point in all this is that understanding precedes action. That's what repentance is, to allow God's Holy Spirit to show you something as it is, not as you think it is. I think I shared with you that uh, my sister, a very godly woman, a big early pro-life warrior, just a, a... a hero in the early pro-life movement. Um, she died of lung cancer, having smoked uh, heavily all her life. And um, <clears throat> I used to smoke big stinging cigars because I didn't think they could hurt you. You didn't inhale them. Of course, they're worse than cigarettes sometimes. And I did her funeral in California. And I came back and I, I didn't smoke while I was out there um, out of respect for the grieving family. And uh, um I got back to the rectory, sat down in my big armchair after I flew back to Chicago and picked up a cigar and a match. And I, I looked at these things and I said, this is the stupidest thing I can do. Put them down. I've never smoked again. Oh, what self-control you have. Are you kidding? I was literally eating a piece of cake as we started. I never met a cookie I didn't like. The, it, it isn't a matter of self-control, but of allowing God's Holy Spirit to show you something as it is, to see it as God sees it. And if your brother repents, if, he, if he's allowed by your discussion and by your instruction to see it as it is, then forgive him. This is an important, what, what Jesus is talking about here is the relationship of Christians to one another. When he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do, he was commanding us to have a general sense of forgiveness. But in this passage, he's specifically saying that, that this is how we're to relate to each other in the church with honesty. I'm to speak to you in a loving way. And in a private way, 
if your brother uh, uh, causes, uh, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Go to him privately, we read elsewhere in the scriptures. You know, we don't rebuke each other publicly until we've done it privately and with one other, as we read in the 18th chapter of Matthew. So uh, the goal of the rebuke is not simply to say, stop it, don't do it, you're wrong. No, it's it's in a loving way to explain. Let me tell you how this is this is this is affecting the people around you. You're in the back pew talking to the top of your voice, and it really hurts us. Would you please stop? Oh, I didn't realize that. That's a repentance. I didn't realize that. Now I realize the truth. I'm going to try and do better. But we we confront each other with this anger, and remember what we read in the letter. I believe it's the letter of James. Human anger does the anger of man does not work the purposes of God. Anger isn't, anger doesn't come into this. Honesty, uh, concern, and affection, fraternal affection come into this process that Jesus is talking about here, and that forgiveness should be indefinite. And of course, as you know, forgiveness means to let go. Now the the harebrained theory part of this. I am always fascinated when the scripture jumps from one thing to something that seems not to follow at all. I don't think the Holy Spirit works that way. Things follow. Uh, so Jesus says you should forgive him seven times, uh, seven times in one day. Um, then the, 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 the apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith. What does this have to do with forgiveness? The Lord said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is, of course, a tiny little seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Why, in the name of sweet heavenly glory, would you want to throw a mulberry tree into the ocean? And why does the text say, I think it's in Matthew, say to this mountain, move and it will move. Which is it, a mulberry tree or a mountain? If you look closely in the Holy Scriptures, mountains have roots. We don't think of a mountain as having roots, but in the ancient world, they thought of mountains as having roots. That's where this is. That that's what this is about. What Jesus is saying is, the mountain that's to be moved, or the mulberry tree that's to be plucked up, is the bitterness in your heart. That's how this passage relates to the passage previous. That, that that this rancor puts roots down in our very soul. And therein lies the problem. We need to understand that, that, as Jesus says elsewhere, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, that we need to root out the, the root out the roots, I suppose, uh, that, 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 um, deep-seated bitterness that we have. Uh, well, be it a mountain or a mulberry tree, it's put down roots. Uh, we don't think of mountains as having roots, but we see that frequently. I think in the book of Job they mention it. Uh, a number of places in Scripture it talks about the roots of the mountain. Uh, so uh, the mountain that's to be thrown into the, in, to be moved, or the mulberry tree that's to be thrown into the sea, I think is really the bitterness in my heart when I really get mad at someone. So this is a tall order that we are not on simply to forgive people, but we're on to to 
to speak honestly with them in a loving way. And this is a tall order, this passage, um, that, that, um, that, that this idea of causing little ones to stumble. Well, when we get into a good tiff with somebody, we're causing little ones to stumble. So my, my view of this passage is, I know, a little obscure and a little, a little convoluted, but, well, hey, it's what I do. That said, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with uh, uh, letters, and, and uh, we'll open the phones. And this break will conveniently allow me to finish my cake, my celebration cake. You can support Relevant Radio in many ways, joining a giving society, donating a vehicle that you don't need anymore, and now donating a piece of land or other real estate. Donate now at relevantradio.com slash property. Not ours to see. Thank heavens. Yeah, if I knew the future, I'd, I'd really, really be a, really be a problem. What about the flying oh. cars? Don't you want to see the flying cars? The flying cars. We're supposed to have had those by now. We used to have this thing in the Sunday papers when I was a kid. The Sunday funnies. What the future would be like. You know what things would be like in the year. You know. In the way in the future, like uh, uh, 1964, <laughs> and uh, we'd have flying cars and moving walkways. Well, we have the moving walkways, and mostly they just cause us to gain weight. But, um, well, that said, let's go to letters. Let's go to letters. Where did I put? Oh, good grief. How did that happen? Okay. Good All grief. right. This is a fun letter here um, from... Russ, here's a question. Regarding the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins in today's gospel, are we sure they were all females? Why couldn't some or all of them be males? Well, the word in, in Greek is, is uh, uh, it's an interesting word. It's uh, parthenos, and it's invariably feminine. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, well, actually, it could apply to a male, come to think of it. Parthenos could apply to a male, but it was in general a word that referred to uh, to women. Well, let, let me look at the text real quickly, because the pronoun will give it away. And not the pronoun, the adjective. <clears throat> and there's no adjective. Ah, yes, 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 yes. No, it's uh, no, this is going to be obscure. We we don't have gender in English, uh, except in a few cases. Um, most Indo-European languages, which includes English and German and Greek and Latin, have gender. The nouns have gender. All things are perceived as being fat, masculine or feminine or neuter, which means not either. Why? How? Well, that's crazy. Things don't have gender. Well, they do in a in a funny kind of way. We perceive them as having gender. We still maintain it in things like a ship. She's a good old ship. For some reason, that has stayed in the language that 
that ships are women. I don't know why. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, ships are women. Uh, there are other, a few other things that, that might be masculine, feminine, and neuter. Uh, but this is an important thing. So in the text here, uh, it talks about virgins, which is a, a masculine-looking noun, but it's ten virgins, virgins who, and the who is feminine. So the virgins in this passage are feminine. If there had been one man among them, it would be masculine. Uh, isn't that always the way it works? So, yeah, they're feminine. But I, I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. You know, when we read yesterday's parable, it, it, again, I think this is a funny story. We don't think it's very funny. Uh, I think I've shared when my cousins in the old country tell me a joke, my response is, Oh, I mean, jokes don't translate well from one culture to another, from one era to another. But this is the kind, a lot of the stories uh, that Jesus told in the parables, you could say everybody knows one. And we try to milk more out of the parable than is in the, in the parable. You know, the parable about the unjust steward who writes off his master's uh, debt or his, his, the debts owed to his master because his master is going to fire him. And Jesus says that the children of this world are, are, are more intelligent about this stuff than the children of, of, of the kingdom. Um, is Jesus encouraging dishonesty and embezzlement? No. It's a funny story. Uh, in that particular parable, it's huge amounts of wheat and huge amounts of oil. You know, it's as if saying, you owe my master a, a zillion barrels of oil. Take your bill and write down half a zillion. They're huge amounts. And and it would have been funny because everybody knows one. And this is the story with the the virgins. This this is this would not be an uncommon occurrence. But what we don't understand is in the parable, it sounds like um, they're waiting outside of a house. Uh, let's look. I'm going to cheat because I I, I want to go back and look at that because it's it really is fascinating. In 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 the parable, um, uh, as Jesus tells it, um, he, he says. Uh, um, Jesus says that at midnight there was a cry, behold, the bridegroom uh, has come uh, come out to meet him. All the foolish virgins got up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. No, well, that's not very nice of them. Uh, and they went off to buy it. Well, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. What it sounds like is that, that they just went inside the house and celebrated the wedding feast. That's, I don't think that's what happened because the, the Jewish custom was you would have a party of people waiting for the, the groom and he would come to take the groom, to take the bride to his father's house or to his house. That kind of changes the story, doesn't it? Um, They, they had lamps in order to accompany him on the dark streets. Uh, um, it's, they went into the wedding. It doesn't say they went inside into the wedding. They, they accompanied him through the streets. They were kind of the bridesmaids, and they were accompanying their friend. The bride was sequestered in her home with the bridesmaids, keeping an eye on everything, and they would have had lamps lit so they could walk through the street and there would have been drums and there would have been singing and there would have been there would have been a crowd of people 
And it was the responsibility of the bridesmaids to make sure that the bride got there safely. And, and uh, so they greeted the bridegroom, and then they would walk with him to the house where he was going to live with his bride. I think that's a beautiful understanding that Jesus, the bridegroom, is coming to take us to the Father's house. And we'd better be ready. You know, we'd better... We better have our lamps, our lamps lit, and our oil oil jars full. So it changes, at least for me, it changes the perspective of of that parable. So, and I don't know if you've thought of it that way, but I was amazed when I found out that's how it worked. Okay, let me know. Okay, uh, let's see here. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention the the phone number. It, plenty of lines open. And you can call in and ask any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Okay, let's see here. Where's another letter? Okay. If God knows exactly what you're going to do tonight, are you free to do otherwise? If you're not free to do otherwise, in what way can you say that you have free will? This is this is Harry who's asking this. Um, Harry, knowing it isn't causing it. If I am standing up in a building and I see a car speeding down one side, one street, and a car speeding toward it from another street, I'm going to say those guys had better stop. They're going to crash. I didn't cause the accident. I saw it. I saw it coming, but I didn't cause it. Knowledge of something is not to cause it. And this idea that, well, God, God, God's will is going to be done. No, it's not. If God's will was going to happen, regardless of what we did, why do we say in the Our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? Uh, you know, again, I've said this many times, but... I've heard people say that, well, pagans pray to get the gods to do their will. Christians pray so that we'll do God's will, which is in part true. But ultimately, Christians pray to give God permission to do his will. In other words, Lord, this is what I would want. But if you got a better plan, I give you, <coughs> excuse me, I give you permission to do your will in my life. That's the thing about our God. He's humble. We're the only religion I know of that has a humble God that, that, he will not do his will in our life, his perfect will for us, without our permission. And that concludes sending us to heaven or hell. Wonderful book by C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, which explains that, that the people who are in hell are there because they want to be there. They may not think they want to be there, but they do want to be there. So, just because God knows what's going to happen doesn't mean he causes it in our lives. I think that's important. Let me look at the time. Oh, I think I can do another letter here. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, okay. Let's see here. Let's see here. I'm, you think I, I, I actually look at these letters, then I confuse them. This is one... Oh, dear. Well, oh, one more here. Okay. Oh, this is what we call bad radio. Do you ever have deja vu, when, Mrs. Lancaster? Frequently, frequently. You know, 
history doesn't repeat itself, it stutters. Okay. In today's psalm, which is, of course, from Friday, it talks about his holy arm. What does it mean, his holy arm? Well, let's, let's, let's uh, look at the, at the phrase, his holy arm. Uh, that when you talk about arms, it means it's, it's, it's a, what's the, what's the motto of the kings of England, Dieu mon droit, God and my right arm, that, uh, that, the, the idea of the arm is, is a, a symbol for strength. Um, and so that's what's being talked about. His holy arm. I'm trying to find that passage. Oh dear. Oh dear. I, oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> Okay, well, let's listen to the music for a little bit. The music has gotten better. Okay. There's the music. Oh, dear. All right. This is Isaiah 52.10. It's not, it's not the psalm. It's not the psalm. It's Isaiah 52.10. Uh, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. That... that uh, God's going to show you how strong he is. Have you ever seen some kid pull back his sleeve and flex his muscle? It's usually pretty comical. But uh, um, when God pulls back his sleeve and flexes his arm, it's quite impressive. So that's that's the idea of the holy arm, uh, God's holy arm. So I hope that answers your question. Well, let's see here. Uh, let us uh, go to, uh, what do we got now? Let's go to the word of the day. How's that? Oh, the break. We're going to a break. Uh, um, it's been one of those days. So uh, we'll be back after after this word. And remember, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. Today, we'd like to thank Steve, who is listening in Wisconsin for donating his 1981 Kawasaki motorcycle. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. One of the problems here is that sometimes the voice in my head plays really good music. I love that version of uh, Aretha Franklin singing R-E-S-P-E-C-T. It's uh, in the Blues Brothers. It's a great scene. So it's called Think. Oh, it's not called Respect. It's Think, but it's about respect. Think what you're trying to do to me, which is most appropriate considering the reading that we, as we looked at it, that it's about respect. But it's really a great scene. I can't recommend the Blues Brothers. Well, there's some scenes in the Blues Brothers that I wouldn't recommend to younger, more sensitive audiences. But that particular scene is never mind. Let's go to the word of the day. In the gospel yesterday, we see something um, Jesus says, Therefore, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I'm looking at the neither um uh and it's it's kind of structured strange in greek uh concerning uh, the the text literally says 
However, concerning the day, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels of the heavens, not the sun. It's, it's Uder, which means neither the angels of heaven, neither the sun. I think the reason I want to bring that up is because I remember a conversation I had with someone who was quite sure that, that the Lord was coming back at a certain time. They'd done the math. They'd looked at the Bible, and they knew when Jesus was returning. This was, of course, maybe 50 years ago now. But I said, how can you say that? Uh, no one knows. The scripture says no one knows the day nor the hour. Yes, but you can know the month. Give me a break. I mean, it is when someone says, I've figured out when the world is ending. What arrogance. The text says very clearly that that neither the angels nor the, even the Son of God know the hour. Uh, but you do. And now this brings up another problem. There's, there's situations in which Jesus doesn't seem to know things. If he's God... The eternally begotten Son of the Father, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, how come there's stuff he doesn't know? Doesn't that make the Father greater than he? He actually says the Father is greater than I. We believe that God is a relationship. God, in the words of St. John Paul the Great, says that um, God is the perfect family. Your family is like a family. But God is the perfect family. To, we're invited to join into that family, adopted through the sacraments. Okay. God is love. The Trinity makes absolute perfect sense if you believe God is love. Because if God is love, who's he going to love? Well, us, of course. Well, that means he would be dependent on his creatures for existence and thus would not be God. <laughs> Within himself, God has perfect diversity, perfect unity. Um, thus, God is the Father and the Son, eternally loving one another. And that love is so perfect that it is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's that's the idea of the Trinity, that, that the relationship of perfect sacrificial love is constitutive of the reality of God. God is sacrificial love, agape. God is not knowledge. God is not power. God is none of those things. God has all powerful. God has all power. God knows all things. God is immortal, eternal, beyond the creation. But he isn't those things. He is love. And Jesus never ceased to be in that relationship, which is constitutive of the, of the Blessed Trinity. The rights and privileges of divinity, he took off as if a garment and laid them on the heavenly throne and became a man like us in all things except sin. Thus, he chose to know only what the Father would tell him. He chose to do only what the Father commanded him. He could have known all things in his divinity. He could have done anything he wanted in his divinity. But he chose to limit the perks, the privileges, the powers of his divinity for love of us. The all-powerful on the cross became powerless. So he chose not to know. And I think that 
that that's an important understanding of, of, of the nature of God. He showed us what the nature of God was. The nature of God isn't power, though God is all-powerful. Uh, the nature of God isn't um, all-knowing, though he is all-knowing. Uh, the nature of God is love. And Jesus never ceased to be the second person of the Blessed Trinity in perfect relationship to his Father, uh, um, breathing the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. So, you know, no man knows the day nor the hour, neither the angels, neither the Son, but the Father. So if Jesus was so humble, well, that means probably I should work on it. All right, that said, let's go to phones. You know, I'd be lost without a telephone. Hey, don't go away. I want to talk to you. Irene, we got a lot of calls all of a sudden. Irene, what can I do for you? Yes, uh, thank you, Father, for your show. It's about the liturgy of the Eucharist. Yes. Mass. How yes. is the preface prayer chosen for the Mass? Uh, we are well, there's... Or... Yeah. Go, Go on. Ahead. Well, there, there are some prefaces that are specific to a feast that you must use. There, There's a set of prefaces that are are for Sunday, a set of prefaces that are for weekdays, but then there are specific prefaces uh, for a saint. Uh, you have a, The priest has a lot of options to choose them. However, there are certain feasts where you must do the, the prescribed preface, like the preface of Christmas. I think there are three of those or four of those, uh, a preface uh, for a solemnity. So you have a lot of options, but there are specific prefaces to specific feasts. Does that help? Um, so for the rest, uh, the priest has a choice. He, can, he, he has can a choice within, within, yes, within limits, within limits. In other words, I couldn't, uh, on Christmas, I couldn't say one of the prefaces for the dead. <laughs> that would be, that would be wrong. I would have to say one of the prefaces for Christmas. So within limits, the, the celebrant of the mass has quite a lot of choice. Does that help? Uh, yeah, well, yes. Uh, my idea was uh, to be able to read it because they are beautiful prayers. Yeah, and, oh, they are. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I painted yeah. the for the uh, ordinary time, for example, the mm-hmm. eight or nine. <clears throat> uh, but then uh, yesterday it was a beautiful one for the most holy Eucharist um, mm, yes. read it. That is not uh, one of the ordinary yeah. times. Yeah, that that's that that would be hard to do to pick it ahead of time because of course the priest might choose one that you hadn't, hadn't printed up. But they are beautiful, you're right. Well, thanks for calling in and thanks for listening, Irene. God bless you. Thank Let's you. go to Sam. You're welcome. Let's go to Sam who's calling in from Coolidge, Georgia. What can I do for you? Hey, Father, could you please explain to me the difference between a deacon's blessing and the priest blessing, and can a deacon drive out spirits in a haunted house? Oh, good grief. I, I, that's quite a powerful, uh, um, quite a big question. Well, the difference between a priest's blessing and a deacon's blessing is, is, has to do with, with, Oh, I'd, I'd have to look up the specific things that a deacon can bless. A deacon, for instance, blesses uh, baptismal water when when he's uh, uh, baptizing. A deacon um, uh, blesses a, a child when he's baptizing. So, uh, what a blessing is is simply a prayer uh, that that um, God would would 
favor something. Uh, and uh, the pre- I always point out the, 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 the blessing of, a, of, a, of an ordained person uh, is a very physical thing. In other words, I was ordained by someone who was ordained by someone who was ordained by someone who was ordained by all the way back to Christ. The devil's a good historian. He can see that chain. Deacons are also ordained by the laying on of hands. Uh, there's a special uh, gift given to the presbyters. It's not given to the deacons uh, that we can consecrate bread and wine. And I think that, that that's the difference, the power of, of, of consecration in a sense. Now, something what we bless isn't consecrated, but the, the, the priestly blessing is, is uh, I think, more closely related to the, to the Eucharist than the diaconal blessing. Anybody can pray to, to fight the demons. However, if something is a very serious thing, it's important to call your pastor. Um, uh, you know, a deacon come in, can come in and pray, and that might do it. But I have found that in many cases where there seems to be something like that, a mass set in the home is often very powerful and efficacious. And you see, the, the priest is a vicar for the bishop. He's not a bishop. He doesn't have the same powers as a bishop. But the history of the presbyterate is when the bishop couldn't go, he would send an elder, a presbyter. And that's the difference, that, that in a way, the, the blessing of a priest shares the blessing authority of a bishop in a way that a deacon does not. I think that's the underlying philosophy of it, um, or metaphysics of it, perhaps. And that, that um, a priest, you know, the bishop can delegate uh, uh, anyone, I believe. Now, if I'm wrong about this, I would like to be corrected, but I think a bishop can delegate anyone as an exorcist, but that the delegation of the bishop that's important there. So um, if you're having trouble with things going bump in the night, uh, ask a deacon to pray, to come in and, and bless. And you can, you can bless too. Uh, you can uh, say the prayer to St. Michael regularly and read the scriptures. And I think the rosary is the most powerful prayer against the evil spirit. And if you think there are evil spirits around, what you do is, uh, uh, what you do is, is make it uncomfortable. Now, there are some theories about ghosts. The ghosts are very strange in, in Christian theology. They, they don't fit into the categories that we like to, to have, but um, one of the theories is that, that these are restless souls and a mass said for the repose of their soul often would help a great deal. So you might want to have a mass said even in the church for the repose of the soul of whoever might have passed away in your home. So that's that's a possibility. I hope that helps a little, Sam, does it? Uh, yes. I'm wondering, uh, what if it's... Uh diabolical spirit and not a person's soul. Well, yeah, then then you would, if it persists, you might want to talk to your pastor and see the possibility of an actual exorcism. So, at any rate, I hope that helps. It's a tough, it's a tough thing, and it's a very real thing. Let's go to Kathy, who's calling in from San Diego. Are you with us, Kathy? Yes, I am. Thank you for taking my call, Father. I have um, the ultimate extraordinary respect for you and your advice. And I'm seeking oh, it regarding um, <laughs> I'm seeking it regarding a family member who is um, 
a devout Catholic. She's a, a, an extraordinarily good woman. However, her field is in, shall we say, uh, a field that doesn't really support Christian values. And she is overwhelmingly um, in the feelings arena when it comes to many things that need, uh, I think, a more clear moral uh, prospect. So she is very, very supportive, overly so, I think, of the gay community. Um, She attends gay pride events and now has three of her children, well, all of her children, are very much into that. And what my question is, is I know we're supposed to be compassionate and loving towards the gay community. Of course. Sure. But isn't there a point where there's something between being compassionate and something that's overly promoting um, this sort of thing, especially the gay pride events that are very sexualized and exposing her kids, although they're, you know, teenagers, they're still not adults, exposing them to, you know, the graphic imaging. I assume you've spoken to her about this. I have not, and that was my question to you. Step one. You know, first of all... You know, that that's pretty clear. I mean, you know, you go to your sister uh, uh, and and then you go with one other. But when it comes to the way she's raising her children, that's something that you really uh, can't intervene in um, other than by your example and by your your own forbearance. You know, I would I would not make it a big thing at family gatherings or, or just a constant kind of don't you. How can you do this to your children? But I would I would talk to her privately. Say, do you really want your kids exposed to that hypersexualized uh, uh, atmosphere? I would. I think you owe it to her to talk to her. You know, that's what I, the Bible I says. Agree. Go to her. Uh, yeah. I agree, and that's why I wanted. But I needed confirmation by from there you. There you go. Yeah, I would. But remember, you speak the truth in love. And what I would say: Do you really think it wise to? Expose your adolescent children to that very hypersexualized um, atmosphere. So you know. That, yes. That, uh, um, yeah, I would. I would. That's what I would do. Uh, you know, and you do it with love, and you know, say, "Well, you're their mother, and it's your decision." You know, I love you, and uh, um, I'm praying for you and the kids. You know, that's that's enough. So that's what I would do. So. All right, let's go quickly to Kathy from San Diego. Oh, that was Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Ed from California. <laughs> what uh, can I do I, for I, you? I Forty-five Simon. seconds. Yes. Uh, my father Simon. Hey, I, I came to the conclusion a long time ago, maybe about five years old, that was just no good. I'm just wondering how we're supposed to view ourselves because uh, the fruits of this have been terrible in my yeah, life. Yeah. Well. I mean, that's that's a life journey to realize how much God loves you. It's amazing. God loves you more than you can imagine. And that's 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 Bible. So trust him. He loves you. And speaking of trusting him, he loves you. Drew's coming up. Mm-hmm.